Welcome to Conversations with Consequences, a weekly hour of thoughtful dialogue from the Catholic Association with the leading thinkers of our time on the most consequential issues of our day. I'm your host, Gracie Christie. Today, I'm joined in a very special way by the other members of the Catholic Association, Ashley McGuire, Maureen Ferguson, and Andrea Picciotti Bayer, who are all in studio with me here in D.C. Welcome, my friends and, and colleagues. Hey, it's great to be with you, Gracie. You know, I thought we could start by explaining to our listeners who is the Catholic Association? What is the Catholic Association? And our long, I believe our longest member, our longest living member is Ashley. So maybe she could give us a little background and tell us, tell our listeners who the Catholic Association is. Yeah, sure. I've had a very long TCA life. <laughs> um, uh, so the Catholic Association is a lay organization and we're devo- devoted to uh, defending the church and her values in the public square. And we really came into existence um, about seven years ago um, to be a response, a a female response, we're all women, um, a female response to what was going on, um, a major conflict between um, the government, which was trying to force uh, Christian organizations um, against their consciences to pay for and provide things like abortifacients in their health care plans. This became known as the HHS mandate, and it was basically the biggest religious liberty issue uh, that had really ever come up in the United States. It, it turned into the largest class action religious liberty lawsuit in history. And there was a sense that there was a real need for women, um, Catholic women who love the church um, and who are very faithful to the church to stand up uh, and testify to the fact that there are Catholic women who uh, very much support conscience rights and um, believe that the church should be defended against uh, that attack. So that's where we started. Um, And we really are primarily about conscience rights and religious liberty, but we've sort of expanded to take on other issues. Um, Just a few years after we came into existence, Pope Benedict resigned, and we ended up going to Rome and um, talking on the media there, again, as about what does it mean to be a Catholic woman? Um, and so that's what we do now. There's four of us, and we're moms. Uh, we're moms first, um, but we love our faith, and um, we we are here to talk about the church, the church's role in in the culture, and what we as Catholic moms, what role can we play in that in that important thing? You know, Ashley, you mentioned the fact that that uh, we're that our voices are needed in the public square, especially because we're women, and. We do really believe that because the four of us are professional women and also women that um, reserve probably the best parts of ourselves for our families. Between us, between the four of us, we have 23 children, which one of us is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, so we'll get to her later. (laughs) I'm the slacker with three kids. (laughs) Ashley is our millennial slacker, but she's going to catch up to us, I know. I just know it. And, And we feel very strongly that it's the voices of, of women like us, women who, who are able to juggle life, you know, all the complications of life and stay faithful to the church, or at least try really hard to stay faithful to the church teachings, who can really very well inform the conversation. Because a lot of these conversations that people are having, they're having them about us. They're having them about women and what women want and what women deserve. No, I think that's so true because when when the HHS mandate first came out, there was a real attempt to frame it um, as sort of, you know, 
the church against women and and to sort of speak for Catholic women. And so I think, you know, part of what TCA was about was Catholic women stepping up and saying, no, this is what we think about this issue. Um, and we have an important um, voice, not just on this issue, but on countless other really consequential issues of the day. So one of the things that I love about the Catholic Association is that I've made so many wonderful friends that I would never have met. I live in Miami, Florida, which is very far from D.C., um, and we have a whole other, you know, we're a little bit outside, uh, you call it the bubble here, but we're, we're outside all sorts of sort of trends and things, uh, political trends and ideological trends. And uh, these things which we talk about in the Catholic Association are extremely important to me. They're extremely important, I think, philosophically for everyone, but I don't, I don't have that many people to talk to about it in Miami where we're all very concerned about how we're going to make it to the beach on Sunday. So I have all these wonderful friends, and one of my wonderful friends that I've made is Maureen Ferguson, who I think is the second longest uh, server at the Catholic Association. Is that true, Maureen? That's right. I think Ashley and I were recruited right about the same time. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So you're identically starters, first starters (laughs) at the Catholic Association. Maureen, tell us about your background and how how your very extensive, important background fits into the Catholic Association. Well, I don't know how extensive it is, but, um, <laughs> but way back when I was young and single and working professionally full-time, I was the chief lobbyist for National Right to Life and spokesperson on pro-life issues. Um, so I did that for many years and was just uh, felt so privileged to be able to be up at the United States Capitol every day lobbying on behalf of life and unborn children. Um, But then as time went on, I got married and was blessed with one baby after another and was uh, blessed to be able to stay home for many years. Uh, But it was this Obama administration attack on conscience rights that Ashley was speaking about, the HHS mandate, that really made me think, wow, this is not the United States that I know. And we really need all hands on deck. And let me see if I can contribute in some way, speaking up on behalf of conscience rights and and the church. So I literally dusted off my old professional clothes from the back of the closet and um, was recruited to do some work with the Catholic Association. And it's been just a delight and a privilege to be able to be, um, you know, contribute to being a voice for Catholics in the public square. One of my first visits to D.C. when I, I came up, uh, when I first started working with the Catholic Association, I think it was for the, maybe for the March for Life, and but it might have been another occasion, but I remember I went with you. You took me to, over to the halls of Congress, and you were walking around like, you know, we see Pedro en su casa, Peter at home, we say in Spanish, and you were uh, so... Um, you were just so confident, and you knew exactly how to talk to everyone, and I could see that you, you had the reins in your hands of how, you know, how things work in Congress and in, and in lawmaking, and that's been my experience with you. Well, I, I certainly spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill, and I was sensible enough to be in um, moderately high heels, where Gracie, my, my Latina friend oh. from Miami, <laughs> was in very high heels on those marble floors, and I was marveling at your ability to march around those marble floors. Well, you'll know when my spirit gives out is when I, I'm wearing flats. That's how you'll know that I've given up the ghost. It'll happen eventually. I, I'm not sure if I'll ever see that. I, I have done the March for Life with Gracie 
and her in her high-heeled boots on the entire March for Life. I, it was a mistake. I admit it. It was a mistake. But anyway, thank you, Maureen, for telling us about you. And now let us go back to Ashley, who gave us the, the background on the TCA, but not on herself. Sure. So I am married. I live in D.C., and I have three children. Um, and I've been with TCA for almost seven years. I count it that way because my daughter, who's about to turn seven, I was about seven months pregnant with her when I started. Um, and so it's been about seven years, and it's been um, wonderful. I A lot of what I do is writing. I'm sort of a writer at heart, and um, ever since I was young, I, I started a newspaper that I called the Samuelson Times. That was my maiden name in second grade. Um, and, you know, fast forward, and now I'm doing uh, writing mostly on religious liberty, life. And I love sort of where those issues intersect with uh, conversations about feminism and women. Um, and through my work with TCA, I've gotten to do some extraordinary things. I went to uh, Rome to cover the people conclave and got to go on Anderson Cooper's show. Um, and so it's been it's been a great seven years. I got to go to the United Nations and testify on behalf of the Holy See. And so for me, it's a real pleasure and a real honor. I sort of I get paid to do what I would do for free. Uh, is how I is how I describe it to people. It's it's what I'm passionate about, and so I feel so fortunate that um, I'm able to do it in a way that has an impact. At least I I hope. Besides Ashley being our millennial, our our young chick at the TCA. I don't mean chick. I mean chick like a little baby chicken. I don't mean it the other way. <laughs> but besides her being young um, and very modern, she is also very special because the, the other three of us are cradle Catholics. But Ashley came to Catholicism um, in a very uh, special adult way, uh, I think in college, right, Ashley? It was just after college, um, and I sort of read my way into the church. It was reading um, Theology of the Body. Um, and, and other, I, I was just very amazed by the sort of countercultural teachings of the church. So it really started as curiosity. Um, then I ended up sort of reading my way into the church. And then I ended up writing about my conversion for the Wall Street Journal, which is how I ended up meeting my husband. Uh, he read the article that I wrote about becoming Catholic and sort of hunted me down. <laughs> so um, my, my conversion path also led me to uh, my husband. Oh, that's a beautiful story. How nice. And um, so Ashley uh, is not only a person um, who writes and speaks at, con I mean, writes and about conclaves and goes to conclaves and does important things like that, but she also wrote a book. I think she's our only TCA member who has written a book. That's very important. Tell us about your book, Ashley. Sure. So my book is called Sex Scandal. Um, and it's not as scandalous as it sounds, um, but my book is about uh, sex differences and why they matter uh, and why denying the differences between men and women is, is bad for everyone, but especially for women. My book focuses mostly on the costs for women uh, that have come from a culture that is um, sort of intent on denying not just um, the, the basic biological realities about the differences between men and women, but some of the more nuanced ones. And I think people today are, you're, you won't find somebody who would say they're not for um, sexual equality. I think today, you know, very modern times, everybody agrees that men and women should be equal, but it's, it's proven to be sort of an evasive 
task. Um, and, you know, especially in the sort of Me Too era, I think it's still very much a challenge. And my argument in the book is that to, to, to really secure true equality between men and women, uh, we have to start by not just acknowledging but celebrating what makes us different. Um, and, you know, that's something that I think is very beautiful about the Catholic Church and is a big part of why I was so attracted to the Catholic Church is uh, that, you know, rooted in all those teachings about human sexuality is a true celebration. I mean, I think the place where you're going to find the most authentic celebration of true womanhood is in the Catholic Church. Uh, I think that that starts very much with the Virgin Mary, which um, we're so lucky to have as as a model for us. Um, but sort of the the centuries of teachings that have um, the church has built up over the years really have led us to a point where I think the church is a treasure trove of um, of sort of what I think is real feminism. No, I raising daughter raise, well raising daughters and sons in the church. You know, as as deeply as I can in the church, they I, they understand. I see an understanding in them of how the church respects and uh, women and keeps them in a very in a hollowed place the way the place we keep the virgin mary and and it's it's a great point that you make about that that the church people when you understand the church from the inside out it's it's always clear that the church has the the highest noblest ideal of womanhood at its heart right and this is something i wrote about in a piece i wrote this summer for the wall street journal for the 50th anniversary of humana vitae you know, the church's teaching on contraception is so, you know, mystifying to people and frustrating to people. Um, but I, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that, again, in the Me Too era where, where women are seeing that um, there's so much objectification of women um, and that our culture is just is sort of a, a, a toxic environment for women. People have talked about toxic feminism, um, that, you know, the church has something different, offers something different. And I think has a lot of wisdom about, um, you know, teaching men and women to respect and cherish and love each other as they are. Um, and that, you know, I think my, my hope is that more and more people will, if, if not just like me, out of sheer curiosity, kind of give the church a, a second look um, and uh, think about, you know, what is the church saying that might be sort of an antidote to the the toxic culture that we have today for women. It's great that the TCA has a young voice talking <laughs> about these very important issues because young people are growing up in a culture that doesn't honor femininity the way it ought to be honored. Uh, you know, Ashley mentioned uh, her piece on Humanae Vitae, and I was just reminded that uh, my husband and I do marriage prep talks on the weekend to engaged couples. And uh, you mentioned sort of the hopefulness of having a young voice speaking out on this. So my husband and I are not quite so young anymore. <laughs> but um, but when we first started giving the talk on natural family planning, we were kind of nervous expecting not a receptive audience. But every time we give the talk, and usually there are about 30 couples, so it's a big group, every single time, uh, we just get an incredible response. Multiple people come up to us afterwards with more questions, but it's an overwhelmingly positive response, and I'm always just so encouraged by that. And in years of giving that talk, we've probably only had maybe two or three kind of hostile questions. I'm sure you guys give a beautiful talk on that, that really um, 
reaches people, no? Reaches young people, especially. I think young people, um, they want, they have high expectations. They're romantic. They want to they wanna reach high goals. And it's wonderful that you offer them the highest, highest possible goal in marriage. Um, but uh, it reminds me that your particular um, specialty, Maureen, and that we always rely on, is your your beautiful way of your your really wise way of talking about respect the issues around respecting the dignity of life especially unborn life and recently you wrote an article um, addressing what's right now a very strong an argument that's going on um, recently in uh, as we know in different states uh, in pre- I guess in preparation for maybe Roe v Wade being um, rolled back at some point or in fear of that, states are passing these very, very liberal abortion laws, starting with New York State, and uh, including uh, the kind of, uh, you know, a lot, making it legal for procedures, uh, abortion procedures, right uh, through pregnancy all to the very end. And in that piece, you made some wonderful points. We're going to link to that piece uh, on our social media so you can read it. But maybe you could reiterate for our uh, our listeners the points that you made in that in that peace. Sure. Well, as the Supreme Court has uh, shifted, um, I think a lot of people who hold dear in their hearts the cause of respect for life are hopeful that perhaps the Supreme Court, after over 40 years, will finally allow the states to regulate abortion uh, in a more way that is more protective of unborn children. Um, The abortion lobby, on the other hand, has gotten very aggressive about trying to defend the right to abortion. And in many states, we've seen a push to liberalize state laws, which are already quite liberal. Um, And many people followed the the New York law, which really um, allows abortion until birth. And it removed many even basic basic protections for women's health and safety standards, even removing the the portion of the law that would protect a baby born alive uh, after an abortion, after an attempted abortion, a sort of accidental live birth in these cases. So it it's really shocking, this push for um, these state laws, which um, even in many respects go beyond even Roe versus Wade. Um, but on the other hand, it's a very hopeful time because states... Um, some states with more of a pro-life legislature and governors have been pushing laws that are far more protective to unborn children and banning abortion after certain weeks of pregnancy and that sort of thing. So in your, in your um, history, that in your past history, you were a lobbyist in, in for Respect Life. And what it, I, I, I know that it informed the way that you think about the laws and the way you know how to interact with lawmakers um, in, in order to promote um, the correct laws being passed in our country. Is that how you see your job, how you saw, see your job that you had as a lobbyist? Well, as a lobbyist, I was, you know, this was pre 9-11, so I was on Capitol Hill lobbying the old-fashioned way, which is standing in the lobby of the Capitol, catching members of Congress as they come on and off the floor. Um, the way that we work now, as Ashley mentioned, is we're primarily writers in many ways, in many ways, and we publish op-eds and do different media interviews and um, sort of trying to reach people uh, in that way through our social media platforms and, and that sort of thing. It's time for our first break, but we'll be back in just a few minutes, so stay with us on Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host, Gracie Christie. We are joined today in the studio, or I should say I am joined today in the studio by my three colleagues from the Catholic Association, Ashley McGuire, Maureen Ferguson, and Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. So it, at Conversations with Consequences, what we are aiming for is intellectual, deep, and hopefully very witty conversation about the issues of our time with some of the leading thinkers of our day. We are looking forward to a weekly conversation, and we can't wait uh, for the time when we, we can open our show up to callers, because we want to hear from all of you and understand what you want to talk about, what our listeners want to talk about, and where these ideas and these conversations are leading you in your life. The idea of our show is to end up, after our conversation, with some real concrete consequences. And so back to uh, my friend Maureen, we were talking about her work as a lobbyist that she did back in the past uh, for the Right to Life. The Right to Life, how was that called? National Right to Life. The National Right to Life. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Maureen. And, um, And now all of us at the Catholic Association... We are, in a sense, trying to do the same thing, move the, converse, the national conversation through media, through print, through radio, and uh, sometimes through TV when we get the chance, um, towards uh, a dignif- an understanding of the dignity of human life and also an understanding of the, found the, the real central importance of religious liberty uh, for a just, uh, a just and good society. That's right. And we talked about sort of lobbying the old-fashioned way, the way I did it many years ago before having children. But um, but now, you know, everybody has a voice in the public square. And moms in particular have an incredibly important voice, primarily, of course, in forming your children at home, um, but also in our wider circles and communities at church and schools. And there are many things we can do. Um, simple little things like writing a letter to the editor or calling or writing your member of Congress on particular issues. And just one little tip on that, always make sure you ask for a response so that they take down your name and address and tally your call. Um, But, you know, members of Congress have town hall meetings back in their districts. And um, it's just really important for all of us to be um, educating ourselves on these issues, reading up on them, and and doing what we can in our sphere to promote human dignity. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I know that regular people out on in the street who care, who who do understand the issues that face our nation and how important how important our Christian, our Catholic perspective is to the national conversation, they they really think of they think, what can I do? Who's going to listen to me? So I think those are all very good ideas, Maureen. You know, now I should turn to our fourth uh, member of the Catholic Association. She's our youngest, not our youngest. She is our <laughs> Ashley's our youngest. I'm, I'm your oldest. I'm the oldest. Ashley's the youngest. Um, and then uh, Andrea is our most junior, who hasn't been with us that long, but she's really made a splash. And she, I like to call her our legal eagle because she is a brilliant lawyer. So tell us about yourself, Andrea. Well, I actually consider myself the fourth member of Charlie's Angels. Good. The, like, the ugly one. But um, <laughs> No, not true. No, because if you could see how beautiful and striking uh, my colleagues are inside and out, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing to be a part of this, this team. Um, as Gracie mentioned, I'm the lawyer 
uh, which is not that uncommon in D.C., uh, but I bring uh, with it the ability to give a voice to the voiceless in the courts, and that's one of the things that um, I've been able to do uh, through the TCA in filing what's called amicus briefs, and those are uh, friends of the court briefs in some of the cases that involve conscience rights and attacks on the church. Um, and uh, over the last few years, there's been an uptick in kind of insidious attacks on, on faith, on people of faith, and those uh, kind of fashionable uh, movements are, are finding their way in the courts. And so uh, we've been able to, through the TCA, uh, bring the voice of, of people, real people who have benefited through um, crisis pregnancy centers and at uh, faith-based um, foster and adoption programs to really let inform judges when making decisions about where the law uh, should come out on cases involving what what is being presented as a conflict between civil rights or anti-discrimination laws and conscience rights. You and wrote, Andrea, you wrote, please tell us about this, you wrote an amicus brief that was so touching. I, everyone I know who read it cried, and I know that the judges uh, who were reading it must have cried about the actual personal experiences of people who would be personally affected by by this uh, lawsuit, this case that was going up before the the court. Could you tell us about that? Well, we've been able to submit briefs in two areas. One um, was just decided last term by the Supreme Court involving uh, pregnancy resource centers or pro-life pregnancy centers. And I cried uh, writing the brief. (laughs) Um, Basically, it was interviewing a number of beneficiaries of pro-life pregnancy centers across the country and sharing their stories. Um, They were women, women who were facing uh, difficulties. They didn't have the supports that you would naturally find. They didn't have the supports of the father of the children they were expecting, or they didn't have supports around them. And they found in these pro-life pregnancy centers um, basically the encouragement and support to carry their child to term or in the case of, of women who had suffered abortions, helping them heal. Um, and this was an important uh, voice, I think, that the justices were listening to um, because there were some attacks. Uh, the case involved a, a law in California trying to force pro-life pregnancy centers to promote the state's uh, uh, contraception and abortion services. And um, the, the pregnancy center said, we, we just can't do that. We don't want to violate the law, but we can't violate our mission either. And the Supreme Court agreed and defended the right of, of pregnancy centers to be there for women and to be there in, in favor of life. Well, they agreed because they read your brief. I'm sure they agreed because of That's many right. reasons. But it was, it was a great chance, again, to, to recognize that the courts, much like the public square, are moved by the human story that's going on. The law is there to serve human flourishment and to respect human dignity. And any time that the law, especially civil rights laws, are are against human dignity, the courts are there, really should be there, to to resolve the matter in favor of of our dignity. Well, you know, for for weeks I, I dined down on the fact that my friend, my colleague, Andrea, had written an amicus brief for the Supreme Court. 
I was very excited. I dine out on that every day. You dine out on that? And uh, it was uh, also, I'd just like to say for our listeners that she, of the Charlie's Angels, she looks like Jacqueline Smith. Thank you. Much better than Sabrina. Much better. So, but the other the other area that we're working in right now in filing briefs, and, and unfortunately, I think the cases may end up before the Supreme Court as well, are attacks against um, faith-based uh, foster care and adoption programs. And um, one in particular that I was uh, fortunate to file a brief in the lower court of appeals involves Philadelphia's Catholic Social Services uh, foster care program. And they've been basically serving uh, the city of brother, brotherly love and, and needy kids in finding uh, foster homes, loving foster homes, for almost a century. Uh, and they were told by the city that if they refused to endorse same-sex couples as foster parents, that they could no longer contribute as a foster care placement provider. And this is um, basically shutting a, a door for uh, many homes that want to work with Catholic Social Services at a time that's a, a grave time for, for the number of, of kids that are in need of foster care uh, homes is expanding um, because of abuse and the opiate crisis. One of our upcoming shows will concentrate exactly on this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to deepen our conversation on adoption and foster care and how faith-based agencies ought to be allowed to stay in the game so that they can offer more choices to more children. But in the meantime, tell us, Andrea, if you don't mind, share at least one of those touching stories that you put in your amicus briefs. Well, um, I think one of the most uh, touching stories that I was able to capture involved former foster children of uh, a woman whose name is um, Mrs. Fulton, and they call her Mem, and she's in, in Philadelphia, and she's been a foster care provider with Philly's Catholic Social Services for, I think, 25 years. And she's fostered over 100 kids and adopted many of the kids. And I spoke with now adult children who were fostered and a few adopted by her. And the conversation was um, profound for me. First off, um, I'm, I'm not a foster mother and I'm not a mother of any adopted children. But in hearing the way they spoke of their mother, I, I, their foster mom, it was, it was just as if they were um, biological children. And that was a, a very important um, kind of uh, moment for me to realize that foster care and adoptive care is parenting. It's parenting. It's no different. It's love. Um, and the life-changing experience of having love in your in, uh, growing up especially for children who had been um, in growing up in the middle of chaos, abuse, drug use all around them, um, was, was profound. And uh, really seeing their, both their gratitude um, and their desire to take that opportunity, and many of them even turned it into fostering as adults themselves, and really seeing this continuity of love kind of a little tiny uh, pebble in a lake that just continued to ripple and ripple and ripple, affecting more more people in a beautiful way. Well, if I had had any doubt that these faith-based adoption and foster care agencies should be allowed to operate, I lost all doubts after I read those amicus briefs, which are so beautiful. Gracie, one of my favorite stories from um, Andrea's first brief, the brief about the crisis pregnancy centers, 
Um, I think about it all the time, actually. Um, in fact, I think about a lot of those stories all the time. And I don't know if I remember the full story, but it was a woman who went to the crisis pregnancy center. And they um, they didn't just help her bring the baby to term, but then after she had the baby, they continued to stay with her. And that was one of the things that was so striking about every single one of the stories um, that was in, in that first brief was the way that these crisis pregnancy centers wouldn't just, you know, say goodbye once you'd had the baby, you know, leave the hospital. Um, and and in this story, there was two parts to it. I think this was the same woman. One, um, she ran out of baby diapers, and it was a blizzard. And, you know, I'm a mom. I have a, a kid that's in diapers, and it's sort of every mom's worst nightmare to run out of diapers. <laughs> and fortunately, um, you know, two blocks from a CVS. So I can just, even if it's a blizzard, I can walk out and get diapers. And I have a, a husband who can help me with that. But if you're a single mom and it's a blizzard and you run out of diapers, that's a crisis. And yeah. they came to her house in the middle of the blizzard and they brought diapers. Aww. And then I don't know if this was the same one, but she also she had to move into a bigger apartment to accommodate her baby. And um, she didn't have curtains. And so the, these workers from the crisis pregnancy center brought curtains and went up the stairs and helped her hang the curtains. And that detail has always stood out to me because it's so it's it's something that if you truly cared about a person, you would understand the need for a home with curtains, Mm -hmm. that just that little human detail that there's something about having curtains in your home that makes it feel like a home and that a mother to a little baby wants her home to feel like a home. And I've just always thought about that little detail that shows um, the true commitment that the people who work in those centers have. Um, to help the women not just have the baby, but to flourish as moms. You make such a good point because the the people who object to the crisis pregnancy centers or the pregnancy support centers, they they th- they seem to think of them as places that are just meant to fight abortion because we hate abortion and we got to get those babies born. But they're really full of volunteers who are motivated by love, pure love. And they want to they want to get in the fray and they want to get their hands dirty and and be there for for women and men too who need them who need that little extra support uh, even when it comes to a diaper in the middle of a blizzard. One one phrase that I heard and it was in many different conversations uh, of people in different parts of the country um, in interviewing them was they said that the the person at the center walked with them. And it's a really, it's a great image to think about. We, we have our policies, we have our ideas, we have our positions, but it's walking with someone through a difficulty, walking with somebody through a crisis. And that, for, for us as Catholics, is living our faith. Well, it's what Pope Francis said. I've always, the, the phrase paso a paso, Spanish for step by step, I think one thing he really understands is modern reality um, and that people are in such states of crisis that what they really need is somebody to just take little baby steps with them. And and that's something, again, going back to the earlier point about, you know, what can you do? Um, what can people who aren't in positions of influence, what can, you know, busy moms do is to have somebody in your life that you're just walking one step at a time. Because for a lot of people, that's all they can handle. And that's all, you know, busy, busy people can handle. Um, but that those little steps over, you know, a long period of time end up turning into a pretty transformative journey in some cases. And I know all of us know people like that, where when you look back, 
to 10, 15, 20 years ago when you first met them to where they are um, just through those little tiny conversations um, have, have come so far. Well, that's what we're trying to have here is conversations with consequences, conversations that, that activate the mind and the heart and the, and the soul um, in, in personal ways in our listeners. And uh, I guess that leaves me. I should introduce myself. So my name is Gracie Christie, and I joined the TCA, I think, about six years ago. I'm a doctor. My, my main job is I'm a, I'm a radiologist. I do a lot of fetal medicine, a lot of uh, fetal ultrasound. Um, so I have a very strong sense of an unborn child as not a pregnancy. It's a, it's a new human being. This is something that is clear to by all scientific standards. And so I've always been very pro-life. I've never been, in my entire life, I've never been uh, politically engaged up until my involvement with the TCA, or I should say ideologically engaged or sort of in a public way at all. Um, One day I got a call from a friend saying that uh, there was an organization in Washington which needed help uh, moving something in Miami, in the Miami area, some information uh, about the contraceptive mandate. So, of course, I said, sure, I can do it. And that was the beginning of what to me has been uh, a wonderful phase of my life that I wouldn't change for anything. It's, it's complicated my life in some ways because uh, I have a husband and five children and another job, which uh, must pay the mortgage. But um, this, uh, the TCA for me is, uh, is vocational because I feel that certainly as a woman, but also as a doctor, I am, able, uh, I am able to contribute to the conversation by saying, no, 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 don't use science to justify bad ideology. Don't, don't tell me that uh, abortion is health care. Uh, don't insist that um, religious liberty doesn't matter because contraceptives have to be distributed at all costs. Uh, so I've, I've been very glad to be part of the Catholic Association. And this new venture of ours, Conversations with Consequences, is uh, a very exciting thing, and I hope that uh, we'll have lots of listeners, not only on the radio, but to our podcasts, who will walk away with real consequences in their lives and in the lives of the people around them. Gracie, what did your husband think of your second career? Oh, my husband's had a lot of trouble in the beginning. (laughs) Because he wants to be on the TCA. (laughs) He had a lot of trouble coming to terms with my my new passion. But uh, little by little, he's come around, and now he is he 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 spends all his time now writing a book on abortion, anti-abortion, or pro-life apologetics. I think he wants to be a member of the TCA, but we're not going <laughs> to let him join. <laughs> he's the wrong sex. And Gracie, I know that you're involved in your church in other ways in Miami. I can you tell us about um, some of the education that you do? Is it through your parish or? Right, so we were just talking about pregnancy support centers. I, I am a radiologist for many pregnancy support centers. They send me their ultrasounds. So a lot of women who go there get their ultrasounds, and it helps them to engage with the baby, uh, with, a com- with the reality of the child who is on his way. Uh, and so I get to read those, and that's a beautiful part of my day. I also work for the parish and for the archdiocese doing sexual education. And what that means is um, I do... Uh, sex talks. We call them sex talks. I talk to fifth graders, sixth graders, eighth graders, twelfth graders, and I give them what I think, what I believe fully and I understand to be 
healthy and noble understanding of human sexuality. Gracie, you also write a lot on the issue of adoption, and you write from your personal experience with adoption. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, so another thing in my life that made me very pro-life and very engaged was the adoption of our fifth child. We adopted a little girl from China after we had four children, and that clarified for me in a very spectacular way that there's no such thing as an unwanted throwaway child. Every child is uh, someone's treasure. We can only find that someone and make that, make that happen. So we have to go to break, but we'll be right back right here on Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host, Gracie Christie. We're speaking today in studio with my co-hosts and colleagues at the Catholic Association. Um, And I thought to finish up this show, which is our very first show, very important show, I thought that we should tell our listeners a little bit about our home lives and how things are complicated and fun at home. So me personally... I have a husband at home and five children. Well, I have to, let me reiter, let me rock that back. I only have two children left at home because the three, but I have two grown ones and one in college. So now I feel, of course, completely bereft with only two, which may sound ridiculous, but um, there were many years of my life where I felt I didn't have time to breathe. So now I have time to breathe, and what I want to do with my time is the Catholic Association. That's what I'm enjoying. But now when I talk about my five children, I have to take off my hat to my friend and colleague, Andrea, who is juggling a very busy life with lots more children. Right, Andrea? Just a few. Just <laughs> a few. So um, in thinking about my home, I was, I was realizing, you know, kind of children are this great blessing that come into a home and your heart grows with each child that's brought and so my heart is ginormous because god has uh, blessed me with 10 um and and in the house there are are only seven but it's a lively seven so there are <laughs> and everyone has decided that they are going to try to be involved in every single activity possible including the now three-year-old which includes a lot of um fun with a sharpie in the wall <laughs> So I would highly recommend, without any kind of commercial uh, payment, goof off. Um, but it, it really does uh, let you see the the marvelous um, multitasking that that a woman can do. I mean, we can uh, we can be pregnant and nurse children and raise and educate and teach and prepare and send these lovely creatures that God has given us uh, out into the world to do more good. When I married my husband, he was a Jew, actually. And he would, if he, he never had met anybody who had 10 children. I don't think he met anyone who had five. And he would have sworn he was going to have only two. And now, 25 years later, he's 
a daily mass going Catholic and, and has five children, which sometimes he feels a little ashamed that, that we quit at five or that we didn't, we didn't go for number six or we would have had to adopt again, but he feels a little ashamed of himself. And uh, that was a beautiful uh, a work of conversion. And um, God was really, really good to us by that, that God opened his heart and, 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 and his mind and his soul to understanding the church and, and all, all the good things that, that, that Christ has brought to us. And on the conversion issue, we have our local convert, Ashley, <laughs> who I'm sure um, found, must have found a lot of these, um, these tendencies uh, in, in Catholic life that come from our Catholic understanding of, of the blessedness of children, um, must have found them a little strange when she first approached Catholicism. No, not too strange. I'm I'm the oldest of five, so um, I grew up in a big family and grew up around big families. Um, actually, this Easter is my 10-year anniversary mm-hmm. as a Catholic. So I oh. was um, 23 when I became Catholic, and um, as I mentioned earlier, it was very sort of a literary conversion. Actually, it was, I read something from Pope Benedict, his Regensburg address. Um, And I read that because I was so curious about what I was reading in the newspapers about the aftermath. I don't know if you remember, but there was a very sort of explosion of of violence as a result. And I said, what did this man say that has everybody so upset? And then I read it and I was like, this is powerful stuff. So that got me reading further and I ended up reading um, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II's um, Theology of the Body. And I was a college student, so it couldn't have been a bigger contrast. I was at a secular university where everybody was deeply immersed in the hookup culture, and this couldn't have been more different. And that really piqued my curiosity. Um, and so I wrote, uh, when I became Catholic, I wrote a piece um, the, the, for the Friday before uh, for the Wall Street Journal. And I talked about, I kind of couched it in religious liberty and talked about the fact that we're so blessed in this country that we have the freedom to convert. We don't have to deal with anti-blasphemy laws, all these sort of um, impediments to conversion and religious practice that you see around the world. Um, Wrote that piece, and then I got an email that day from um, a man who said, hey, that was a really great piece. I'd Mm -hmm. love to meet you sometime. And then um, on a complete lark, he, this man who I ended up marrying, uh, was at my baptism and uh, conversion at the Easter Vigil. And he didn't know either. It was a complete accident. And he he heard my name announced and he said, hey, that's the girl who wrote the article that <laughs> I read. Great story. So then he emailed me again. And I was like, gosh, he's being really persistent. And then he kept emailing me. And finally, I was like, OK, I'll meet you. And we met, and about five months later, we were engaged and uh, got married about six months after that. And so this will be our nine-year wedding anniversary this year. So, Talk about meant to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ashley, um, it's amazing. One of the things that I've been thinking about uh, being around all of you guys is the unique and brilliant light that each one of you represents. And it's, it's kind of... Uh, there's so much darkness around and so much confusion, and especially um, people living their faith are being challenged. Uh, our, t- our faith is being tested. And getting out there and speaking honestly and earnestly and personally um, is attractive. It's really attractive. Um, and, and I'm sure everything that I've read from both of you and when I listen to both of you, um, 
I'm drawn to the truth that you are passing on. And I don't think it's something that is unique. I think it's a, a gift that uh, is available to all of our listeners, too, uh, just to take up and try to be more light. Well, I hope it's helping people because I know my, my, from my experience out there in, in daily parish life and in my daily life, people are looking for help. They know that, that uh, life for Catholics is getting tough for, uh, for people of any religion, really, because of a lack of understanding of the way that we feel we need to live our lives in, in the consciousness of, of being children of God. And people are feeling alone and, and a little beleaguered. So that's why the Catholic Association is here to move the ball in the right direction. Well, you've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by my three colleagues from the Catholic Association, Ashley McGuire, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer, and Maureen Ferguson. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week. God bless.